Yeah. Is this working? Can you hear me? Oh, great. Well, welcome. Because I don't just stand up here talking to myself about this important subject. Welcome to church. Uh, let me add my welcome to Andrew and Isaiah, and uh, welcome to folks joining us online as well. Let's, let's hear it for these folks. Good to see you. Welcome to our church. Uh, we're in the middle of a series entitled God in the Headlines, where we're looking at some pretty majorly important subjects, which we're seeing every day, week in, week out, on our, our, on our Twitter streams, or Instagram feeds, or uh, on news. We're seeing these headlines. So in the last few weeks, we've looked at God in politics. Last week, we looked at God in suicides. The, the messages are available online, so if you, what you've missed, you can listen to again. This week, we're looking at God and gender. Next week, we're going to be looking at God and the environment. And just to... <laughs> I'm preaching here in our Gorgia location, but across town, Sammy Ewan, our location pastor there, is preaching uh, on the same subject in, in Leith. And what we do as preachers is we prepare our PowerPoints and we all upload them to Dropbox. So you see notifications pinging up on your screen when someone else has changed the Dropbox thing. So this morning, up on my screen popped a notification and it said, Sammy Ewan has changed gender.pptx. How funny is that? I mean, I, thought, I was thinking, what joke do I start with? And I thought, that's quite funny. I'll start with that one. Sammy Ewan has changed gender. So uh, with that in mind, I, I want to get into today's subject. Lord, I ask you to help us because this is a hugely important subject to, to precious people all over this world and in this room. I'm asking you today that you'd speak to us, help me to speak, help us to hear. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, this is a subject that requires massive empathy. I'm aware I'm under a bit of a lose-lose situation here. Some of you are from very traditional conservative backgrounds. Some of you from, from, some of, some of you from African and Asian cultures, sometimes even in countries, um, people from a, who, who struggle with transgenderism uh, would be illegal if they manifested that or pursued a homosexual lifestyle, would be, it would be an illegal thing in your country. For others of you, you're maybe a younger generation, maybe you're from a more liberal background, and um, you, you, find it, you, you might find hard when I'm, when I'm giving some clarity on some of the things that the Bible says. My agenda today is two things, compassion and clarity. Compassion, because this just transgender isn't simply an issue to be debated. It's a word that describes and represents people who are loved by God. Clarity, because we're a Bible-believing church, and we believe that the Bible is clear on our identity and on the lifestyle God wants us to pursue. So both compassion and clarity, that's how we're going to navigate. That's how I'm going to try, and I might fall down on one of those, depending on what background you're coming from, but bear with me, just realize you're not the one standing here. Just be glad you're sitting there. Okay, just to say. So why are we talking about this? Well, the headlines, just, the headlines are just so uh, very in your face, and the gender debate has gone from the margins to becoming very mainstream. So here's some of the headlines that even this week. On Monday, uh, YouTuber and beauty blogger Nikki DeJager uh, put out a video, and the video was entitled, I'm Coming Out. And she published this video to her one million subscribers because she was being blackmailed, which is terrible. Being blackmailed if she didn't 
tell everyone that she had transitions that it, they would go public for her. And so that video actually is, is number one trending on YouTube just now with over 30 million views. Um, beginning of January, Lib Dem MP Leila, uh, Leila Moran announced that she was pansexual. In other words, she's saying she's attracted to all different genders. Caitlyn Jenner recently appeared on I'm a Celebrity, formerly Bruce Jenner, formerly a retired Olympic gold medal winning decathlete, and she came out in 2015 on the cover of Vanity Fair with the title Call Me Caitlyn. Louis Theroux and BBC documentary in 2015 uh, did a documentary on transgender children. This continued debate over the use of public uh, toilets and whether or not we should be creating additional toilets for people who are transgender. And uh, we saw the recent debate among, with, uh, where J.K. Rowling was, was dragged through the, the press for her tweet. She came out in support of Maya, who had lost her job for saying there are only two sexes. J.K. Rowling said, I agree with that. Um, sex is real, she said. I stand with Maya. And J.K. Rowling's been called a bigot and has been derided for hate speech. So there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake on every side. There's a lot at stake for those who genuinely have struggles. There's a lot at stake for people who, who have opinions and want to air those opinions without having hate speech labels been put on them. It's a lot at stake, and it's a really, really important subject. And within the church circles, you've seen extremes. On one hand, you've seen people who are the hardline, uh, God hates gays, they're in the pickets, and they're kind of extreme. And then, and they're the extreme minority, but so often, they're the ones who are featured on the television. And so, that okay, that's Christianity. And then on the other extreme, you've got uh, more liberal views, kind of with God, anything goes. And that's the way over here. But in the middle, there's a huge silence. Silence of people who maybe have more of a balanced approach, who want to achieve both compassion and clarity. So I just don't think silence is in any way helpful whatsoever. Therefore, we're talking about it. That's why we're going to preach in this today. So as we go on in this message, let me define the terms. What does transgender mean? Now, while there sometimes can be an overlap between transgenderism and homosexuality, they're not the same. They can be the same, but they're not the same. Someone once said, a bit crassly, homosexuality is about who you want to go to bed with. Transgenderism is about who you want to go to bed as. Two different things. And transgenderism doesn't necessarily mean someone dresses in drag. It means that you feel biologically that you are so you feel on the inside you have a different gender identity to what your biological identity says you are. That's what transgenderism is all about. And there's a name for it, and it's called gender dysphoria. The NHS describes gender dysphoria as follows. Gender dysphoria is where a person experiences discomfort or distress because there is a mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity. Word dysphoria, if you think about it, is the opposite of euphoria. Euphoria is an extreme state of happiness. Um, dysphoria is the opposite. It's a state of extreme unhappiness 
or distress. So as I said at the beginning, this is not an issue to be debated. This is describing people who God loves and who are actually experiencing incredible distress, often because of the the journey they're on on the inside and their confusion, but also because of how society is viewing them and how they're being treated. So let me give you some of the statistics, and it's it's terrible reading. 34% of people who identify as trans have attempted suicide. 64% are bullied, 73% are harassed in public, 21% avoid going out in public due to fear. So I want you to just feel that. And helping us feel it, let me tell you a story of a lady called Leslie Hudson Reynolds. Leslie Hudson Reynolds grew up in church. From a very young age, as far back as she can remember, she had a confusion within herself where she felt like she was a man. And this isn't like, this isn't as she got older, this was like right back, as far back as she can remember. And that 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 was there, but when she was six or seven years old, it dawned on her, suddenly dawned on her, that she was not going to grow up and become a man. And for her, that was a shock, and it shook her. All of a sudden, she realized there was a clash between her head and her body. And as a young person, did not know how to process that confusion. And the church environment she was in never talked about these things, so as a result, she had no way to go to process it. Age eight, she attempted suicide for the first time. She was sent to see a psychiatrist, but she was too scared to tell the psychiatrist really what was going on about the confusion in the soul, about the dysphoria. So the psychiatrists put it down to she's depressed. Not long after that, she was attending her church, and it was Easter Sunday, and at the Easter Sunday service, she heard about Jesus, who died on the cross paying the price for our sins, to carry our burdens, and who rose again. And in the Easter Sunday service, she gave her life to Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. Her life was transformed. And she said how the burden lifted. God lifted this burden. And everything was fine until puberty kicked in. And at that point, she was becoming overtly female, and the confusion kicked in stronger than ever. She started cutting herself, especially her chests, but still had a heart for God, still wanted to follow Jesus, still wanted to serve him. It was the 1980s at the time, and the AIDS crisis was hitting the headlines. Her pastor one Sunday did a sermon about how God had sent AIDS as a judgment on people who are same-sex attracted. She realized in that moment, he was saying, I'm an abomination to God. And she says in her own words, I was an abomination to this God that I had so fallen in love with. She said, finally, I got up enough courage to talk to the pastor. I shared, I don't know what's going on. I don't feel like I'm this gender. I feel like I'm a man. I find myself attracted to women. You've preached that this lifestyle is an abomination. I don't want this. I want to be what God has wants me to be. I want to live for God. She said there was two doors into his office. One door went through the secretary's office into his office, and the other door was to the car park. She says, I was escorted out of the door to the car park and was asked never to return to church. For the remainder of my high school, I walked away from church. 
After high school, I went into acting, and I got married to a woman. Six years after we got married, her wife died tragically, and she was left in a desperate situation. She reached out to a local pastor of a different church and asked, would he be willing to conduct the funeral? He said, I would be honored to. She said it, and I quote, that floored me. This built into an incredible relationship of pastoring and friendship. He began to be, he became to me like a big brother. He loved me as a human being. And though I was, a, and, and through that relationship, I was able to step back into church and step back into God's plan for my life. And I share that not to give you any conclusions, just to share someone's story. And to ask the question, what if Leslie had grown up as a child in our church? You know, what door would she have been shown if she came to tell her story to you? So let me take you on a journey through the Bible. And let's start where the Bible starts right at the beginning. I want to achieve clarity and compassion. Right at the beginning, the Bible starts with creation. Say creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. In creation, God created two distinct genders. Now notice it doesn't go on to say, it doesn't say what a man should be like, what a woman should be like. They're not necessarily as narrow as people have defined them. There is a broadness within femininity and there's a broadness within masculinity. Many people have been driven to confusion because they don't necessarily fit the stereotypes of masculine or feminine. That the, the girls feel like, oh, I'm a bit of a tomboy. Uh, and, and guys feel like they're a bit more in touch with their emotions, maybe. And so they don't necessarily fit in the stereotypes. And because of the narrative of society, they've concluded I must be non-binary or I don't fit into these gender categories. But maybe it's not as narrow as maybe some have described them to be. The trans agenda tells us that we can choose our gender. But the Bible's clear there is two genders. And I believe true freedom comes from embracing who we are. Let me read you a great quote by Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller's a brilliant pastor, excellent thinker, great communicator. He said this, modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints. Think of a fish. Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it's only free if it's restricted to water. If the fish is freed from the river and put on the grass to explore, it's freedom to move and soon everything, even to live, is destroyed. The fish is not more free, but less free. It could not it cannot honor the reality of it if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. The same is true with airplanes and birds. If they violate the laws of aerodynamics, they will crash into the ground. But if they follow them, they will ascend and soar. The same is true in many areas of life. Freedom is not so much about the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, those that fit the realities of our own nature and those of the world. True freedom isn't doing your thing choosing your way, choosing who you'll be. True freedom is being who God created you to be. So the question is, if it's so clear in the Bible, 
God created them male and female, then why the confusion? Why, is, why do people genuinely feel a confusion in their souls? And the answer is point number two, the fall. Say fall. And this is where at the very beginning of time, the, the Bible's narrative, the big idea is that God created a perfect world in harmony with him where everything was perfect and we were created in the image of God to love and honor and live for God. But at the very beginning of time, sin came into the world as we rebelled against God. We decided we didn't want God, we wanted to be our own gods in effect. And the Bible describes this in many places, but one of the places it describes it is in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 onwards. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. Now this describes not just what happened at the beginning, it describes what's happening today. It describes exactly what's happening in the human race right now in our lives, in any culture. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And by the way, I, I believe, I don't believe in atheists, okay? I, I don't believe in atheists. I, I think everyone knows God. I think there's a, what I mean by knowing God, not relationally, but there's an inner knowledge of, yeah, there's a God. Now, they can deny that with the head as much as they can, but in the depths of their being, there is an inner knowing that there is a God. That's why the vast majority of the human race is religious in some form. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, to degrading of their bodies with one another, and and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Notice that with the fall of mankind, it was closely linked and shortly followed after with a fall in our sexual desires. Notice that there's the fall of mankind, a rebellion against God is linked so often with uh, the, the confusion that comes into our sex lives and the imbalances that come into our sexual behavior. Uh, just to sum up, kind of today's society, we're in a fallen world. And to sum it up, I've got three pictures. One is of Steve Jobs with the iPhone. One is of Boyzone. And one is of um, McCoy's Crisps. All right, so this is, this is societies today. Steve Jobs created the iPhone a number of years ago. Who's got an iPhone? All right, number of iPhones. Say I. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and he, was, he was a marketing genius. He perceived the spirit of the age He understood that we're living in an I-focused culture. Individualism rules. Everything revolves around the individual. So his product range became iMac, iPhone, iPad. Everything revolves around the individual. That's our society. We're in a highly individualistic society. We resent any authority figures challenging our individualism. We reject authority. Who are you to tell me? We're free to think what we want, live as we want. That's a society. If, you know, if you're honest, it's you and I. It's, it's this thing within ourselves that wants to rebel against God and do our thing our way. In one sense, being an individual is a great thing, but rebelling against God is not good. Then Boyzone, here's the picture, right? How many honestly have that picture? Who had that picture on their wall? Hands up. No. One, one, one sinner. Anyone else? Uh, hands up. Who's still got it on their wall? 
put your hand down, Isaiah. It's not like, well, and their, their song goes, no matter, no matter what, I won't say, no matter what they tell you, no matter what they say, no matter what they teach you, what you believe is true. And that's the narrative of society. If you believe it, well, then it's true for you. There's no such thing as objective truth outside of ourselves that we decide what's true. And everyone loves the song, but hey, it's actually an incredibly dangerous philosophy. And then McCoy's crisps. So what's this to do with our fallen nature? Well, you've got to, go to eat walkers, not McCoy's. Okay, so why McCoy's? Well, their slogan is, the real McCoy, except no imitations. In other words, authenticity is elevated as the um, number one, the real, being the real McCoy. Authenticity is the number one value in society. Jonathan Grant, in his book, Divine Sex, describes our age so well. He said this, modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and our own morality. The only rule being that we must, it must resonate with who we feel we really are. The worst thing we can do is to conform to some moral code that's imposed on us from outside by society, by our parents, by the church, or whoever else. You've got to be authentic to who you really are. And that's our society we're living in, an individualistic. We make up our own beliefs. We've got to be authentic to who we really are, society. But is that good? I would argue that's the root of the fallen human nature where we desire independence from God. Rather than allowing him to define us, we decide to define ourselves. You see, the way I see our lives is we're just like the solar system that we're living in. The solar system we're living in has perfect balance. Everything operates perfectly. With the sun in the center of the solar system, the planets are in perfect orbit. Everything's in balance. There are no collisions. There's order. There's beauty. But imagine every planet decided we're no longer going to have the sun as our center. I will create my own center then all of a sudden, the entire solar system would fall, become like a junkyard, and there would be collisions of planets bashing against each other, and everything would fall into decay. Well, that's exactly, actually, spiritually speaking, what's happened in the human race. We decided we no longer want gods as our center, and as a result, everything falls into chaos and falls into decay, disease, devastation, depression, discouragement, disunity wrong desires, and dysphoria. So how do we fix this? Well, there are many attempts, and this is the third word, say restoration. There are many attempts, many things people do to try and fix this perceived dysphoria within ourselves. For people struggling with gender dysphoria, there are many treatments available. Treatments have changed to gender dysphoria over the years. Originally, in the past, you would treat gender dysphoria medically by working with someone on the inside, helping them to change on the inside, helping them to reconcile with their biological gender on the outside, helping them on the inside to, to reconcile with who they are on the outside. And that would be a journey uh, of, of psychological treatments and counseling. Today, however, the change of focus has been that now we treat gender dysphoria by changing the outside by changing the body instead of changing the minds. 
Today, any attempt to correct a person's gender identity, what they think they are, so that it conforms with their biological sex, is totally unacceptable. The idea that, oh no, you can't change how someone thinks, you must change their body. That's the only deemed acceptable approach. So hormone treatment and surgery is ultimately available to help people change their bodies so it conforms with their perceived gender identity. Just a side note, children who struggle with gender dysphoria, and that's not as uncommon as you think, children who struggle with that, among 84% of them no longer have that dysphoria when they move into their teenage years. And so to intervene in an early stage and bring physical changes or even puberty blockers in an early stage when actually for 84% of them the dysphoria would have passed away by itself seems to me inappropriate. The problem with the approach of changing the outside because of an inside dilemma The problem with that approach is if we took the same approach to other situations where someone has a, in the inside they perceive something that's different to their outside, for example, anorexia. If we took the same approach to anorexia, it would have devastating consequences. So for example, if someone says, well, I see myself as fat, but on the outside they're actually thin. If we then treated their outsides rather than working with them on the inside, it would have devastating, for example, if they had an operation to shrink the size of the stomach or put a band around the stomach so they no longer felt, uh, felt hungry or to have liposuction or something like that, it, would have, it could even be fatal. To treat the outside rather than the inside is so devastating in other situations and why would it be any different here? And research is showing it's not, it is dangerous. Post-transition, many people who have had physical transitions end up with the the rate of deep depression, regret, and suicide among people who have transitioned is appalling. The research shows that those who have had had transitional surgery are 19% more times, times more likely than the average person to die of suicide. Other people might argue, well, Peter, that's nothing to do with the transition. It's to do with the pressure they feel from society on them and they can't cope with that. It might have some elements of that, but I think there's a fundamental change. They've moved into a change situation that's messed with their being that's actually caused some damage. So what's the alternative? Well, John Watt in his book, Matters of Life and Death, talks about two contrasting views of the human body. The first one he talks about is the Lego kit view of the human body, that you are just... Like, if, if we have just emerged out of some primeval stew, that there was no design, that we're not created, there's no ultimate design, you're just a, a collection of constituent parts, then just like a Lego kit, you can be constructed or reconstructed however you want. You can reconstruct you physically, you can change who you are, there's no problem, you're in control. That's the Lego kit view of the human body. The art restoration view of the human body is a different view, and that's the view I would hold, and it's, I think it's the view the Bible holds. The art restoration view of the human body, where it says that you're a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. However, you're a flawed masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor. No, 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 don't. don't. Just keep them happy. Keep them happy. You're a flawed masterpiece. You're a masterpiece, but you're a flawed masterpiece. 
And if you have a masterpiece that through time has become flawed, you take it to an art restorer. And what do they do? Well, they don't do like Mr. Bean with Whistler's mother. Remember that? <laughs> kind of glasses, a mustache, you know, <laughs> kind of makey up. They don't do that. That would break all the rules of art restoration. The art restorer's agenda is this. I want to get this painting back to its original intention. I want to help it be everything it was originally intended to be. And that's how I view people. And that's, I believe, how the Bible views people. Original intention. And the fourth word I want to give you is rescue. Say rescue. The answer to our bodily brokenness. And whether you have gender dysphoria or whatever else, human beings, the answer to our bodily brokenness was the bodily brokenness of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, God became a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was born sin-free and lived sin-free. And on a cross 2,000 years ago, he paid the price for sinners. He was broken for broken people. He dies so we could have eternal life. And actually, there is no greater dysphoria than when Jesus became what he was not, so that we could become what we are not. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ entered into our human existence, and on the cross, he assumed our sin upon himself. Not because he was a sinner, but the sin of the world was placed on the sinless Son of God. And in that moment, he died and suffered for the, our sins. He paid the price that we should have paid. And on the third day, he resurrected so that anyone who trusts in Jesus, anyone who trusts in Jesus, can be declared righteous and forgiven, no matter who they are. They can have total acceptance before a holy God because he paid the price for your sin. And you can go to heaven, not hell. You can have relief. You can be forgiven. You can be live guilt-free, sin-forgiven, and righteous before God. Isn't that good news? That's the ultimate dysphoria. And Jesus suffered it so you could have this. It's like, the, it's like identity theft. If a thief steals your credit cards, and what, what do they do? They start amassing debt. They assume your identity and start amassing debt against your account. Well, what Jesus did on the cross was the opposite to that. He assumed your identity on the cross. And rather than amassing debt to your account, instead he cleared the debt that was already in your account. He cleared the debt and credited to your account his righteousness. Isn't God good? Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his rescue. Point number five, follow Jesus. Say, follow Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple. Does anyone want to be a disciple of Jesus? Uh, you know what? You see what it's going on to say. He uh, was reluctant. Let me ask you again. Does anyone want to be a disciple of Jesus? All right, this is a church, right? We've got to have at least two or three, okay? A few of you. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I don't want you to wiggle out this one, so I want you all to read it with me, nice and loud. One, two, three. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. You've trusted in Jesus as your savior. He's died on the cross and risen again. He's forgiven your sins. So what do you do now? You follow him. You follow him 
with everything within you. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Not just the tick, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to live however the hell I want. No, no, you didn't even get it in the first, if that's how you're doing it, you didn't even get it in the first place. Okay, if you accept Jesus, changes your life. Literally, you've transitioned from death to life. You've got to follow Jesus now. And notice he doesn't put the word self before identity. He puts the word self before denial. In other words, are you just going to go with the flow of your own fallen humanness? Or are you going to stand against the flow and follow Jesus? That's the question. And that question applies to everyone in the room or joining us online. Everyone. Are you just going to go with the flow of your fallen human nature? Or are you going to follow Jesus? That's the choice. If you trust he died on the cross to save you from your sins, are you just going to, all right, thanks Jesus, I'm going to keep pursuing my own way. Or will you be a disciple of Jesus and you deny self rather than self-identify see, I made a choice to not go with the flow. Since childhood, I have struggled with lust. From the youngest age I can remember, I deeply struggled with lust. Pre-primary school, I struggled with lust, had sexual experiences with people. I was a participant. Wasn't a victim of abuse, I was a participant. I struggled with lust from the youngest age. And do you know what? If I'd just gone with the flow, oh Pete, that's natural, that's just how God's made you. No, God made me creative. God made me passionate. And God gave me an imagination. It's just that sin hijacked my creativity, my passions, and my imaginations. And warped those good things to become bad things in my soul. When I was 15, I started following Jesus. And at that point, he saved me from my sins. And I had a choice. Am I going to follow this Jesus and resist the flow of my humanity? Or am I going to follow Jesus? You see, am I going to, am I going to just go with the flow of how I feel? If I had just gone with the flow of how I feel, I'd never get married. I'd have had multiple partners. I'd be estranged. Any kids I did, if I, I'd be estranged from them. I'd be sexually addicted. But instead, I chose to follow Jesus. God has not called you to be true to yourself. He's called you to be true to him. You see, here's something we can agree on. If you're biologically female, but you feel like you're a male. You didn't choose that, but that's honestly how you feel. Or if you're biologically male, but you feel like you're a female. Or if you're same-sex attracted. Agree in this. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Don't go with the flow of society or your own feelings. Follow Jesus. Don't self-identify. Self-deny. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Born male, you have a responsibility to honor God with your body. Born female, you have a responsibility to honor God with your body. I don't know why I look this side for male and this side for female, but 
Anyway, don't be confused. Born male and struggling with dysphoria, you have a responsibility to honor God with your body. Born female and struggling with dysphoria, you precious person have a responsibility to honor God. You have heterosexual sexual desires. You have a responsibility to honor God. Stop sleeping around. You have homosexual sexual desires. You have a responsibility to honor God. I'm not sure if I've answered many of your questions. Here's a few that I may not have answered, and I'll try and answer them now. First of all, what kind of church do we want to be? Answer, we want to be a church like Jesus. And Jesus sought out those who were the most marginalized in his society, and he made time for them. He loved them so much, he accepts them as they are. He loves us so much, he accepts us as we are. He loves us too much to leave us as we are. Let's be like Jesus. All right? If someone is struggling with their gender identity and they call themselves by a new name, should we embrace their new name? Or should we keep calling them what their old name was? That's a good question. Some people, out of respect for the person, call them by their new name, whether they agree with what they've done or not. Other people, out of a sense of conviction and a stance, call them by their old name. And I guess the question you want to ask is this. Do you want to win the person or do you want to win the argument? Okay? Do you want to build a bridge or do you want to make a point? It's your, your choice. Both are actually conviction choices. I got this wrong in the past. We had a guy in our church. He told me about his confusion. I talked to him about the... I didn't, I didn't say yes or no. I just said, go on a journey. Get counseling. Dig into the Bible. Whatever you do, don't bow to society's pressure. And whatever you do, go slow. Didn't take my advice. He transitions. He became a she. Called himself by a girl's name. Kept coming to church. Didn't recognize him or her at first. But I kept calling her him by his old name. Rather, by the name she wanted to be called. Came for a few more weeks, stopped coming. I don't know if it's because I did that. I certainly gave he or she a wonderful welcome every time, absolutely. But out of a conviction, I made a choice to call them by their old name. But do you know what? I think now, I think now, I'd probably call her by the name she wanted to be called. Not because I'm endorsing the step, but because I want to win the person. You can, you can have mixed opinion on that one. As a church, will we love and welcome people from the LGBT backgrounds? Yes, we already do. Will we tell them to change and repent for their sins? Of course, of course. Why would we want to treat them any differently from every single one of you in the church? Why would I tell people from one background not to, I won't tell them to repent, but I'll tell everyone else to repent? Of course not. I'm going to tell you all to repent. Repent for your sins, sinners. Stop going with the flow of your humanity. 
follow Jesus. You don't realize he died on the cross to pay the price for your sin and rose again. So don't justify your sin. Don't mollycoddle. Don't say it's my sin. It's not your sin. It's your enemy. Live for Jesus with all your heart. Why would I want to treat anyone from any background any differently from how I tell you all to repent, including me? Repent, Pete. Repent, Tim, especially. Repent, y'all. Live for Jesus. And by the way, a, a guy who, who was in our church for many, many years, uh, comes from a homosexual background, he said to me, Pete, I love being in this church. I love being in this church because you preach the Bible. Because you, you don't wore it down. You don't tiptoe around the hard bits. We talk about it. And do you know what he said? I love being in this church because I'm wanting to follow Jesus. And it makes me feel safe that I'm in an environment that's not just telling me to go with the flow. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are incredibly loving. Thank you, you are kind. Thank you, you're on the throne of the universe. And we want to say thank you that you love humanity. Now, humanity is a bit of a mess, God, including every single one of us in this room or joining us online. But I want to thank you, God. Your shoulders are very big. You've got a, a broadness about you, God, that can welcome sinners. Jesus, you modeled that so well when you were on earth. But today you do exactly the same. You welcome people, you love people, and you love us too much to leave us as we are. You change us. You help us not become what we want to be. You help us become everything that you've called us to be. And I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that we would be a church that's just like Jesus. Help us to be people that are just like Jesus. God, help us to be people of conviction and passion. Help us to be, both have compassion and clarity. Help us to navigate both of those, God, without in any way compromising either. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Just under your breath, pray your prayers to God. Talk to him. If you're, if you're aware, no matter what background you're from, you've just been going with the flow. And you think, I've just been going with the flow of my sinful nature. Then repent right now. Why on earth would you want to do that? Jesus died for sinners. Why would you want to justify your sin? Thank him for his acceptance. Look to him for his strength. Go against the flow. Follow Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus as your savior. And I want to say I'm so pleased you're connecting today. Whether you're connecting online or whether you're here in person. Then what, just now, right now, why not make the greatest decision of your life? and give your life to following Jesus. Jesus is king, and he wants to be your king. He wants to be your savior. He wants to redeem you, save you from yourself, save you for eternity. If that's you today, and you're saying, I want Jesus in my life, then pray this prayer with me, just now, under your breath. Say, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you were willing to come into this world. You were willing to come knowing it would cost you everything. And I want to thank you that on the cross you paid the price for my sins. And I know I am a sinner. Thank you in the third day you rose from the dead. I thank you you're alive right now. Jesus, come into my life change me, make me all that you want me to be. From now on, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, with your help. Be Lord 
of my life. Thanks for hearing my prayer and accepting me. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your eyes closed. I want to pray for anyone today who prayed that prayer. If today you're saying, Peter, that's me, I choose today to follow Jesus, then I would love the opportunity just to pray God's blessing on you. And you just prayed that prayer and you accepted Jesus. Just wherever you are, just very simply, quietly, just slip your hand in the air, then pop it down again. Is there anyone like that today? Thank you. It's brilliant. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? God, thank you so much. Is there anyone else before I pray? Today you're saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. And online as well, people are making that decision and the team will connect with you. Dear Lord, thank you so much for these two precious people today in your presence. They've said yes to Jesus and you've said yes to them. As they've trusted you, I believe you've saved their souls. Let them know the joy of that total eternal acceptance right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.